Father in heaven, Lord, we humbly ask that your spirit would be in this room. Father, as your word is opened, we pray for a special blessing upon it. We pray that you'll take these wonderful words and give them a special place in our heart today. Father, speak to us. Remove anything that would serve as a distraction. Help us, Father, to give you our undivided attention. We pray, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've probably at one point in your life asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Let's go to Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? Of course, you can also ask, why is it that good things happen to bad people? But today, why do bad things happen to good people? Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. If you're there, just say amen so I know. Okay, Mark 4, 35. And the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also other little ships with him. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they cast him, sorry, and they wake him and saith unto him, Master, do you not care that we perish? Why is it that bad things happen to good people? You might have heard a sermon based on this verse that had a rather strange axiom that sounded something like this. If Jesus is in the boat of your life, then nothing bad will happen. I don't think they read read the passage. Because if you think about it, it was Jesus' command to go into the boat. Look at what it says. Verse 35, let us pass over to the other side. He wasn't inviting them for a group swim. Okay, he intended that they would make their way into the boat. And when you think about it like this, the storm, and we'll see this, it was a different kind of storm. It was a special storm. And I think that Jesus probably knew that it was coming. Now, I wouldn't suggest that he fell asleep so as to test them. I would say that he fell asleep because he was human. He fell asleep because he was tired. He fell asleep because he had spent the entire day preaching, teaching, and healing. When I finish one sermon, it's time to sleep. It's time to sleep. In fact, it's time to eat, and then it's time to really sleep. <laughs> I was reading something this morning that, that, that made me chuckle. It said that there was a prophet, Elijah, who once had said to God, God, I'm so angry, I just want to die. And then God said, okay, Elijah, have some food. And then go and have a nap. (laughs) And then Elijah wakes up and everything is fine. (laughs) 
and it said, don't underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. <laughs> Jesus, I believe, went to sleep on the boat because he was tired, not necessarily to test the disciples. But I want you, to, I want you just, to, just to think about this for a second. It's, it's because the disciples followed Jesus that they found themselves in a storm. Because if they had decided to not stay on the boat, if they had decided to, to let some of them or maybe just Jesus go on the boat and they stay back on the land, they would never have found themselves in this situation. Are you with me? So the reason why they were in the storm, the reason why bad things were happening to them, the reason why they felt like they were going to actually lose their life was an actual fact because they were following Jesus. So the axiom that if Jesus is in your life, bad things will never happen couldn't be more of an untruth. In fact, I would say that the reason why bad things happen to you and I is because Jesus is in our life. The reason why we suffer, the reason why the trials that befall us are so often much stronger than those that befall the unbelievers is because we have Jesus, not because we don't have him. So the disciples find themselves in the midst of a storm. And so we ask the question, why is it that bad things happen to good people? My answer to that would be they don't. Bad things don't happen to good people. If you read Romans chapter 3, there is none that are good, not even one, Christ being the sole exception. In fact, bad things don't happen to good people that only ever happened once, and he volunteered for those bad things. You and I need to come to the realization that bad things happen to us, but in actual fact, the way that we've lived our life and the way that we have so often chosen self over God means that bad things should probably come our way. Luckily, we have Christ. Luckily, we have the Lord. Luckily, as I, as I shared yesterday, heaven is on our side. So those bad things that do befall us are so often not as bad as they could have been. Jesus is in the boat of your life. So bad things are going to happen. Now let's look at some context for this, for this particular event. In Mark chapter 3... Jesus calls the disciples into ministry. And shortly after that, he's actually accused of being the devil himself. It says in verse 22 of Mark chapter 3, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devil casteth he out devils. And then so Jesus said to them, How can Satan cast out Satan? How can the devil cast out the devil. He's trying to make a point here, and he finishes the chapter by saying this from verse 31, when they come to him to talk about the fact that his mother and his brothers are coming to speak to him, he says in verse 33, who is my mother or my brethren? Verse 35, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, the gospel, is not just for the Jews, but this message is in fact going to go to the Gentiles. And when the disciples make efforts to take that message, they are going to be met with trials. And so he gives them a little bit more teaching, and then we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Let us then pass over to the other side. And if you're not sure where the other side is, you just have to jump to verse 1 of chapter 5. 
It says, and they came over to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. In other words, they went over to the Gentile lands. Now, there's something that I like to do when studying my Bible that helps me, I think, sometimes to catch the pieces of information that we sometimes overlook when it comes to just our casual Bible study. I like to call them flags. What do we call them? Flags. flags. Now, flags generally, and I mean it literally, I draw a little flag by the verse, is something, in pencil so I can rub it out, is something that at first appears to be irregular. It appears to stand out, or the opposite, it appears to not mean anything at all. Now, the Bible says that all Scripture is given as inspiration of God. How much Scripture? All Scripture. I don't believe that there's a single word in this book that is just mere information. There's something that God wants to tell us. And so if you're coming across something in your study or your reading of the Scriptures that to you seems like it's just a piece of information, for me, I'd like to flag that and say this is something that I don't understand and I'm going to try and understand it better. Now that takes time. You don't just plant the flag and then suddenly look up and you're able to recognize what it is. It takes time, okay? There's great effort that sometimes needs to go into this. But I'd like to read verse 35 to 41, and I want you to, as we're reading through it, think about what the possible flags might be in this passage. I think that there's at least two that stick out. Let's read it, and then I'll ask you guys to see what you came up with. And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the winds beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, don't you care that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right, flags. What do you think? Let me see some hands if you're brave enough to shout out here in this cinema. Yes. There were some other little ships with him. Now, sometimes I feel like when we're reading the Bible, we look at these things and we just think that the Holy Spirit's being really nice for those of us that are artistic so that we know what to include in the scene. All right? There wasn't just one ship. No, 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 don't forget to draw in the other little ships that are with him. Um, but I think you're right. I see that as one of the other flags. One of the flags. Anyone else? Yes. All right, he's in the hinder part of the, the ship. And again, the King James has a rather kind translation that Jesus was sleeping on a pillow. Um, I think it just means that his head wasn't on the floor. But I don't think it's a pillow. But good. Perhaps there's something in regards to where Jesus is in the ship. Anyone else? Yes. The boat was filling up with water. That tells us something. That tells us that this probably just wasn't any old storm, right? This is a serious storm. Um, so much so that it appears in a short space of time that the boat was actually filling up. Yes. They left the multitude. Yeah. They left the multitude there and went over to the other side. Because Jesus didn't come. And here's, here's the real point, I think, of medical missionary work. Jesus didn't come to prolong the life of sinners. The gospel message is not just about helping you to stay alive. In fact, it's the opposite. 
The gospel message is helping you to die. So you would truly live, truly live. Medical missionary work is, is powerful, not because we're helping people stay alive and curing them of their ailments and diseases, but we're helping them stay alive to the point where they can now accept Jesus. And this, I think, sums up Jesus' ministry, is that he didn't heal everyone. He healed those that he was around, and he said, okay, let's go somewhere else, because other people need to hear the message. Two flags. One of them is definitely the fact that there are other little ships with him. Perhaps just because it seems like a tad bit of information, but sailors do have a particular saying that helps them navigate their occupation because their livelihood depends on their ability to predict the subsequent day's weather. You know that, right? Sailors aren't going to set sail when they know that a huge storm is coming. So they need to make sure that when they do go out, that there is actually going to be opportunity to catch fish. The fact that there are other little ships there with him proves that they were ready to go. Otherwise, the ships would have been pulled in. So, so they at least don't see a danger. There is a saying that says, red skies, red skies at night. Anyone know? Sailors delight. Red skies in the morning. Sailors take warning. So they know that they need to plan ahead and make sure that they know exactly what the weather, to a certain degree, is going to be like the next day. So that is a flag. That is a flag because the storm that eventually comes is so great that it, it does kind of make you question how is it that they didn't see it coming. The second flag, um, which maybe some of you got but nobody said, is verse 39. Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. It says, and he arose and rebuked the wind. Now just think about that for a second. How many have ever rebuked something? How many have ever rebuked someone or ever been rebuked? How many have ever rebuked something? Some of you are rebuking your pets. That doesn't count. (laughs) But here's the thing. We don't normally walk around rebuking inanimate objects, right? Now, now, sometimes, let me give you an example. Um, our, Our bed at home is one of those beds that has the drawers underneath the bed. You know, you can pull out and store stuff, right? And so that, that drawer, as you push it, is meant to roll in and just fall into place exactly where it should be so that the surface is smooth, it's flat, it's clean. There's been numerous times, not because of the bed, but because of us, where we've neglected to really put the drawer back where it should be. And sometimes, you know, you'll get out of bed in the middle of the night and you'll just be walking and you'll just buck your toe or your knee against the bed, and we've all done it, and it hurts a lot, but rarely do we turn around and say, in the name of Jesus, bed, I rebuke you, right? Can you imagine, you know, you're you're like, you're dorming with someone, and they just come out with that in the middle of the night, and you're just like, okay, Uh, uh, I would request a new room for sure, you know? We don't just rebuke things. Now, we might say, oh, silly bed, you know, but really what we're actually saying is, oh, silly me, you know, because the bed didn't decide to stay open, you just left it there. But we don't go around rebuking things that don't have actual life to them. That's not how rebukes are used. Now, here in this verse, verse 39 of Mark chapter 4, when it says that he rebuked the wind, it uses the Greek word epitomao. Say it with me. It's always cool when people tell you to say something in a different language and you're just never going to use that word again. So say it again. You can forget it later. So essentially, 
what this word means is it is not just a rebuking, but in the context of the book of Mark, it's always used to rebuke a demonic spirit. Always. In fact, you can look back in Mark chapter 1, and Jesus uses it to rebuke demonic spirits. It's used, and it's used almost solely to rebuke a demonic spirit. Now, I want you to put these two flags together. There's other little ships there which hint to the sailors that there's not going to be a storm. And then when they go out, there is a storm. And then when Jesus wakes up, he goes to the storm and he rebukes. He literally rebukes the actual storm. He says, peace be still, raising his hand. And then the waters just subside. This was not a natural storm. This was not a coincidental storm. This was, in fact, I believe, a demonic storm, an effort through nature by the devil to do something. And do you know what that something was? That something was to stop Jesus and the disciples from taking the gospel, do you know where? To the other side. Now notice that before they get in the ship, there's no trouble. When Jesus and the disciples are going through the parables and sharing these teachings with the Jews, there doesn't really seem to be much antagonistic effort. But the moment they get into the boat and the moment they head over to the other side to engage in certain evangelistic efforts, now Satan wants to get involved. And it shouldn't come as a surprise. It shouldn't come as a surprise when you and I have found people that don't know Jesus but want to know Jesus and we try to introduce Jesus and then we're met with kickbacks that we've never faced before. But that should be a flag to us to let us know that this is in fact what the Lord might want us to do. The fact that there is opposition is a hint that you're on the right side. When Jesus is in your life, nothing bad will ever happen. If bad things are happening to you, it might be an indication that Jesus is in your life and there's something extremely powerful that he's trying to do. So he goes forward and he rebukes the wind. But what interests me the most is what happens after that. Verse 40. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, just, just think about this story for just a moment. Think about this story for just a moment. What has Jesus just done? A miracle. He's just rebuked nature itself. And then he comes to the disciples and he says, Why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? Jesus is saying to the disciples, in waking me up, you have shown that you don't have faith. And what are the implications of this verse? They're going to the other side to share the gospel. Satan attacks the boat through a demonic storm. They feel like they're going to die. They're scared, of course. And they do what you and I would do in this situation, and that is that they turn to Christ, right? And Jesus said, you don't have faith. What does that mean? I mean, if there was a demonic attack, first thing that you would do is go and wake up, Jesus, Jesus, I've seen you deal with demons before, and now here there is one, and you just, you know, 
Like, get up! Do something! Save us! And the thing is, they wake him up, and he does get up, and he does save them, and they get to the other side, and the gospel goes forward. Men that are demon-possessed are healed, and they're sent as witnesses to their people. I mean, it works, but Jesus said you didn't have faith. Why is it that you are so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Here's what I think. And I think this is substantiated in the Word, and I'll show you how just afterwards. Jesus was saying to the disciples, yes, this was a demonic storm. Yes, your life was in danger. But no, you didn't need to wake me up. You could have dealt with the storm by yourself. Now that should cause you to question. I could have dealt with the storm by myself, but, but wasn't waking up Jesus the right thing to do? Well, Jesus said you didn't have faith. Your fear led you to act in such a way that you didn't have faith. I was asleep. I was tired, and I knew the storm was coming. But I still went to bed anyways, and I'm not too happy that you woke me up. I think that what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples is, we've been together long enough, and you've seen enough to know that God is with us. And so if a demonic storm comes into your life, you should know that you can deal with it. Because I'm with you. I don't have to be awake. My physical and literal presence doesn't have to be right by your side for you to achieve victory. Amen. The victories that you need in your life do not require you to be able to see me at all times. You could have dealt with it. Where's your faith? Now, I think in this instance, there's two different types of faith. There's passive faith, and then there's active faith. There's the passive faith that says, oh boy, I'm in trouble. You know what? The only person that can get me out of this mess is Jesus Christ. Amen? So I'm just going to let Jesus Christ get me out of this mess. And I'm just going to sit and wait. And eventually, He's going to get me out of it. Eventually, Jesus is going to do a miracle, and I'm going to be free. And you know what? Maybe. That's what the disciples did. They were like, the only way that, that this, can, this can be dealt with is if we literally shake Jesus and get him up and hopefully he'll start to work for us. And then there's the active faith. The active faith is very similar to the passive faith, but the active faith says, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. It's not just me sitting down saying, Jesus is going to sort out these storms in my life and I just need to show the patience of the saints. No, 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 no. It's me saying, Jesus is going to sort out these storms in my life, so I'm going to go and sort out these storms in my life. I'm going to actively go forward with the belief that the Holy Spirit is with me, not presumptuously, but by faith, and that Christ is going to do something. But if I'm just going to sit back and hopefully God is going to show up and get me out of this mess, Jesus says, that's little faith. That's little faith. And you know, little faith is something. We've all been given a measure of faith. Little faith is something. In, in, in Matthew's account of this, he doesn't say they had no faith. He said that they had little faith. It seems to almost be the same thing. Can little faith move mountains? Sure, it absolutely can. So imagine what full faith could do, though. 
Have we settled for a little faith religion? Have we settled for the minimum requirement? Oh, I'm not going to really commit my entire life to Jesus. All I need is a little bit of faith. And if I just have a little bit of faith, then everything will kind of work out. But in this day and in this generation, God's not looking for people with a little bit of faith. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, When the Son of Man returneth to the earth, shall he find faith? He's looking for the faith of Jesus. He's looking for people that started off with a little bit of faith, but asked the Lord to increase my faith and increase my faith and increase my faith and put me in a place where I have to actually grow my faith. Little faith. Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have such little faith? How is it after all this time, after all that you've seen, after all that you've read, and after all that we've done, that you still have such little faith? Now, I believe this is how Jesus justifies what he's saying. Go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 27. In fact, we'll start a little bit earlier. We'll start in verse 20. And they brought unto him, when, he, when they saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times they had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and came out of him, and said as one of the dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hands and lifted him up, and he arose. Listen to this. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? Why couldn't we rebuke the demon? And Jesus said, this kind come forth by nothing but by being the son of God, right? No, he said that this, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you were praying and if you were fasting, you would have actually been able to do it. Now, he's not saying that they would have been able to do it in their own strength, but he's trying to say through their prayer and through their fasting and through their complete dependency on Christ, if they found themselves in that position, they would be able to meet it and they would be able through Christ's strength, I really want to emphasize that point, that the demon would be expelled from the person. Now, let's go to another text. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. This is just after the transfiguration experience. Which disciples were taken up to the mount? Anyone know? Peter, James, and John. But everyone else was left at the foot of the mountain. Look at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and oftentimes into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Notice that the man expected that they'd be able to. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered. Listen, listen, listen. The man brought 
the child to the disciples and said, why can't you cure him? Jesus shows up, looks at his own disciples and says, oh, ye faithless generation. It sounds like Jesus was expecting them to be able to do it as well. He says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came to the disciples apart, sorry, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. The reason why you couldn't meet it head on was because you didn't really believe. In other words, the flip side is true also. If you had truly believed, if your life was truly grounded in faith in the Son of God, you would have been able to cast out that demon. And the same is being said to you and I today. If we truly put our trust in Christ, if we take the promises of the Word and we choose by the grace and the strength of God to live them out, we will be able to achieve victory over the demons in our life. But that's more than just a little faith. It's a complete dependence and a complete trust. Now watch their response. And I didn't see this till this week. Renan and I were at a friend's house in the community that we're studying with, and he was giving a study on this chapter. And I was super excited because I was like, the Holy Spirit's going to work because I don't know the end of this sermon yet. And he's going to do a Bible study on it, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to come out. And as I'm going through the study and going through the study, it's not coming out. And then, boom, it just comes. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Look at their response. We're back in Mark chapter 4. We're back in Mark chapter 4. Verse 40, and he said unto them, Mark 4, 40, why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? And it says, and they feared what? Exceedingly. And said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, I believe that Jesus expected that they would be able to deal with the storm if they just really had true belief. And this, please, this shouldn't come as a surprise to you guys. Jesus says that the words that I speak are not of my own, they are the Father. He says that everything that I do, it is the Father that's working in me. This is John 14 verse 12. You go to John 14, I think verse 13, and Jesus says these words. He says that when the Holy Spirit is about to come, greater works, hello, greater works will he do, will he do through you than he's done through me. The commission to the disciples and the commission to every successive generation, the commission to this generation, is not just that we would live Christ-like lives, but rather we would live a Christ-like life and exceed Christ-like works. That we would do things that even Jesus himself didn't do. And John puts it like this at the end of John chapter 20, that Jesus done so many things that there's not enough space in all the earth to contain the books that could be written about him. Greater works can you do? Come on now. And so they look, seeing the waters still, and they say, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. And Renan brought out this point on Wednesday, and I was just like, yes, Jesus, yes. Do you think or do you know that these disciples had seen Jesus work miracles before this? Absolutely. 
They'd seen these miracles. They'd seen demons been cast out of men. They'd seen blind people healed and deaf people speak. They'd seen Jesus do all of these wonderful things. They'd witnessed it, and so they were sure, yeah, this really is the guy. This is the Messiah. And sure, they wavered a little bit, but for the most part, they were like, this is the Messiah. Peter would say it all the time. We believe that thou art the Messiah and the Son of God. They believed because they'd seen the works that he had done. But then they saw Jesus calm the storm, and as someone brought up, they were like, who's this guy? Who is this man? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? And here's the point. Here's the point. It's great when you and I see Jesus work in other people's lives. Amen? See someone struggling and Christ just comes through for them. You see people that have got laid off their jobs and Christ just opens doors. You see people whose families have just been broken apart and Christ comes in and mends things back together. You see these things and you say, wow, praise the Lord that God is working. But when you see Jesus start to work in your life, it's a whole different kind of excitement. Amen? They're there and they're like, right, we've seen Jesus save other people, but right here and now it's our lives that are at risk. And Jesus shows up and calms the storm. And they're like, wow, he can even save us. Because, yeah, great, Jesus can save other people. No one's doubting that. But has there ever come a time where you're like, man, but can Jesus save me? Can he actually come into this heart, into this life, and actually do something in here? Because I can see him doing things in other people's life, but, but can he really get through to this one? And when you see that for the first time, when Christ actually comes in, when you let him in and you begin to see the grace of God transform your life, there is nothing on this earth that compares to that. There is nothing. What manner of man is this that he can even save me? What manner of man is this that he can even save me. The call to you and I is greater works than these. The gospel is to go to the entire world as a witness. In other words, they're meant to see it, amen? Yes, we could just hire the world's biggest megaphones and just pump three ABN and it is written and amazing facts right out and then hopefully everyone would have heard the message and then Jesus Christ will come back. But the gospel is to go to the world as a witness. They're meant to see it. The Bible says time and time and time again through the major prophets and the minor prophets that the earth is going to be lighted with his glory. Amen. That the character of God is going to be so clearly reproduced in his people that there will be a glow about them. That they will have special Holy Spirit power that they can go forth and accomplish more in one day than has ever been done before. That the earth will be lighted with his glory. Oh, you ought to say amen. amen. This is not some, some, some peeny weeny message. This is the character of God being redeveloped in your life. Not in Advent Hope or Loma Linda or, or, no, in your life. The character of Jesus can be yours. And it has to be yours. It has to be mine. 
And the whole point of this, the whole point of this transformative experience is so right before the close of time, there is a message, there is a people that go to an absolutely broken world and they're so filled with the Spirit of Christ that the world stands back and looks in amazement and says, what manner of men are these? That even the winds and the seas obey them. Brothers and sisters, the call for us today is not a little faith. Sure, a little faith can move mountains, but we've been called to end the world. Moving mountains is too small. Moving mountains is yesterday's faith. We're called to light this place up. To set it ablaze with the glory of God. Let's not settle for a little faith. Let's not settle for a little power. Let's not settle for an in and out, upsy downsy religion. Let's settle for the character of Jesus Christ being our life. That the world may be lit up with his glory. That's the call to you. That's the call to me. That's the call to, that's the call to restoration and the call to Advent hope. That's the call to God's people. Let it be the call on your life. Father in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We pray, Lord, that the world would be able to look on us and say, what manner of men are these? Greater works, Lord, you've told us that we can do if we but just put our complete and utmost trust and dependency in your son. Father, help us where we lack and where we slack. Give us greater faith. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Father, we want to go home. We want to go to the place where we were designed to be. We want to walk with you. We want to talk with you. We want to sing songs of praise for the rest of our lives. We want to visit the planets that have not yet heard testimonies of how you've transformed sinners into righteous men and women that have the character of your son. Father, let that be our testimony. May we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.